0: Hi, this is Steve. Since starting The Cinephiles, there probably isn't a category of film that we've received more requests for than animation. And not just any animated movie, our listeners have been clamoring for a Disney animated classic. Well, with the live-action version being released this week, it seemed the perfect time to explore Beauty and the Beast. With breathtaking animation, wonderful songs, and that special quality which only comes from Disney, Beauty and the Beast was an instant classic in 1991 and remains just as spellbinding today. And, as a bonus, John and I are lucky enough to be joined once again by animation writer, producer, and executive Michael Vogel, who counts Beauty and the Beast as one of his all-time favorites. Beauty and the Beast is available for rental on iTunes and Amazon, and there is a very nice Blu-ray. So, that's our first animated feature, Beauty and the Beast, with special guest Michael Vogel, this Friday on the Cinephiles. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme,
1: beauty and the beast. Off to the cupboard with you now, Chip. It's past your bedtime. Good night, love.
0: Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
2: Hey gang, uh, it's John Rocha. Uh, I host shows here in LA. I do voiceovers, and I'm an actor as well. And I can't wait to talk about this film this week. <laughs> and, we're, <laughs> we
0: and we're very happy to welcome back to our microphone you've become our most... A uh, frequent guest, Michael Vogel. Love I'm so
1: honored, and,
0: <laughs> and such a wide variety of films too. I know it's been all over the place, and really, this is where we should have started because yeah. because you are, I'm going to say, an animation expert, and you, we are doing mm. today our first animated film. Yeah. I'm
1: very excited. I will, I will say, I would, I would, uh, I would go by animation nerd sure. over expert, but, sure. I'll, but I'll take it. But sure. I'll take it. Um, it's to say that on your business card. Yep, it does. Good. You're the Alec Baldwin of our show.
2: Like, you're coming on hosting. Like, it's the third time that you've been on the show as a guest, right? Yeah. So it's like, do, we, do, we, do I have we... to dress
1: up as Trump next? Be able... <laughs> no. Whew, no. God, no. No, thank goodness. No. I don't, I don't think
2: there's a movie that applies.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, today's movie is uh, we're talking a lot about what our first animated film should be. And with the live action film coming out uh, this week, it seemed like Beauty and the Beast was
2: the one. Yeah. Yeah. Da, 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 da. 1991. So, yeah. I can't believe it was that old. It's that old. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in a while And then I watched it in preparation For this podcast And I was like 1991 yeah. yeah My gosh. Isn't there something By the way When you say I can't believe it's
0: that old That what you're really saying is I can't believe I'm that old Yes
2: Well fair Yes, this it's true essentially the point Yes
0: Yeah Because I was a grown up You know yeah. When this movie came out and this movie came out 26 years ago. Yep. That's a long time. Grunge long is time. like two decades old. That's madness to me.
1: Grunge? <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole
0: other podcast. That's true. Anyway, yes. on the Grunge Files. Sorry, sorry. Um, about that. <laughs> so, Michael Vogel, how did you first come to Beauty and the Beast?
1: Uh, my mom dropped me off at the mall. <laughs> by that's, that's how actually no no not by myself so okay. uh Back to, to anyone that. to anyone who knows me this will shock you but when i was in middle school i would organize giant groups of people to go to the movies no <laughs> um and uh there was a big crew and actually i remember that this particular weekend i don't remember the weekend it came out i know it was november but there were two movies coming out that weekend that everyone was excited about mm. uh adam's family Really? And oh. Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Actually, there were three. I believe American Tail 2, 5 Old Goes West also came out that weekend, wow. but I saw that the next day with my wow. family. Two competing so, animated uh, films. They put out the same week as Beauty and the Beast? It was a different time 26 years ago. Like, oftentimes, yeah. those movies came out. I believe Great Mouse Detective came out uh, the same weekend, if not if not the same weekend, then right around the same time as American Tail. Oh. And Little Mermaid and... Uh, I don't remember a little memory. Land Before Time and Oliver and Company were also the same weekend. Wow. I believe. So anyways. Animation nerd. Uh, like I said, animation nerd. Validated. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, we actually, a bunch of us went to the mall and we did Beauty and the Beast first, mm-hmm. had dinner, and then did Adam's Family and actually you know, oh. went, went with the better movie first. Although I love the Adam's Adams Family, mm-hmm. live action Adam's Family movie. Uh, Beauty and the Beast is definitely the classic.
2: Yeah. Um, how about you? Uh, I would have to, I, to be honest with you, I don't remember. I know it was a long time ago, and I probably watched it as like on TV or something on one of the Disney channels because it wasn't something that I'd necessarily gone to see, go see, which is ironic because I'd seen Aladdin and I'd seen. What was the other one? Well, Aladdin came after. Yeah, Aladdin. Yeah, I saw. I took someone to see. I took a date to see Aladdin. Aladdin. That's the first time I ever fell in love. I took the, the girl toy, With the toy. girl of the movie? No, the, well, both. Okay. I really fair. love Aladdin too. I love Aladdin too. But at the time, I don't think I was. I was one of those like macho guys because I was in the military and I was like, I'm not going to take a you know, a girl to go see Beauty and the Beast. Like, it just didn't occur to me to do that. You right? were, you were Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You are the Duke, brute, brute squad. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know, but I know later on and when I was studying film, I came back and found this and I watched it and I enjoyed it very much. And, but the soundtrack has always been the thing that has stuck with me it's more than the movie because I love Jerry Orbach. Obviously, he's a huge Lawrence Ulver sure. fan. But "Be Our Guest" is one of my favorite songs, period, bar none. Uh, and it just it just has always stayed with me because of the production value of it. Also, for me, it's a soundtrack it stays with me more than the movie. Yeah.
0: So, so for me, I always loved uh, animated movies. Mm. The Little Mermaid was what I asked who is my current wife out, for our first date. Oh, wow. Which she said no, because she had already seen it. Right. Because unlike my military friend, I thought (laughs) that an animated movie is the perfect thing to take a girl to. She said no, and instead we went to see The War of the Roses. Oh, what? (laughs) Not a date night. No. No. Naturally, we didn't start dating for years later. Um, (laughs) But it all worked out, because we're married now. Right. Um, uh, And so I was really excited to see Beauty and the Beast, saw it definitely in the theater, and just and i and i can so remember the moment of which we're going to get to but going to the song beauty and the beast when they go into the mm. the 3d space suddenly and it just it just blew my mind yeah and i'm not sure that i don't put it as like my favorite of the disney animated movies but mm. it is such a classic and well constructed one that it's, it's archetypal,
1: I think. Yeah. It may be my favorite. It's tough. It, it, it's usually, I think, when it comes to Disney animated films, it's down to that and Lion King oh, as yeah. my favorites, although I love Aladdin, yeah. I love Little Mermaid, I love a bunch of them, but mm-hmm. from that era, that's that sort of golden age of, you know when Disney made its big comeback after black cauldron almost broke the animation studio and then they kind of clawed their way back with great mouse detective and Oliver and company and little mermaid really kind of was the Disney animation is back. And then with beauty and the beast, it kind of solidified that and Mm -hmm. beauty and the beast. I think I saw it like eight times in the movie theater. So well,
0: well, and that's, you brought up exactly what I wanted to talk about because there's this, you know, obviously Disney invents the animated feature with snow white and then has these classic golden age of animation. And then, Disney dies the last one he works on is is Jungle Book and then we have sort of this slow descent and I, what do, what do you think's happening
1: there in that era? It's not that they're not good movies. Some of them are not good movies. Yeah. yeah. Black Cauldron is not a great movie. I mean, I I actually like it for a lot of the things that it tried to do, but I think really what it was uh was that Disney had kind of lost its creative sense. I mean, it was kind of run by businessmen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thing that happens a lot of entertainment companies and studios is where you start from a very creative place and then eventually you become a corporation and eventually there's a bunch of corporate guys that are running things and you know i mean there was a point in time where it looked like disney just wasn't going to do animation anymore i mean that Mm. it was it was they were they were shuttering down their doors wow and uh it was it was It was it was like I was saying all the movies that I was just naming. It was sort of like incremental. Like they came out with Great Mouse Detective, which was sort of a you know you were hitting a single. Like Black Cauldron Mm. was a disaster, and they came out with Great Mouse Detective and said okay let's just let's just try and make something solid here. And they made a very very cute movie that felt like a Disney movie. Unfortunately, as far as mice animated film films went, American (laughs) Tail trumped it. Right. And so they still weren't top dog. And then uh, I believe the next one was Oliver and Company. I'm pretty sure, which uh, was actually a great movie. Billy Joel, Bette Midler, a lot of really cool songs. One of Disney's first animated films that was set place in modern day New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a retelling of Oliver with animals. And it did really well. It didn't do as well as Land Before Time. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and then Little Mermaid came out, and I think that you can't really talk about Disney's renaissance in this era without talking about Howard Ashman and Alan Mencken. Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly Howard Ashman. And I think that him coming to Disney with Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin uh, really was the transformative thing because he was much more than a lyricist. He was much more than the song guy. He was an executive producer on Little Mermaid. He was an executive producer on Beauty and the Beast. He shaped those movies. Yeah. And you can't... It's it's just, it, that's part of the Disney magic that was that came back. And even though Disney went on to make a bunch of great films after that, there was definitely a little something lost when he was yeah. taken from this world too early. Yeah,
0: yeah. And a little bit of background on them. So Ashman and Mencken, they're uh, Broadway composers. They did Little Shop of Horrors, which is their big claim to fame. I just found out, which I didn't know, they did uh, a musical of God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, the Kurt Vonnegut book, which huh. I just can't. I can't imagine that's what exactly random, that's random like. Thing. And you're right. I mean the the everything I've read about Ashman is that he was a character guy and a story guy and understood really the tone of the movies. And you see, I love Little Mermaid. Mm. I love the songs in Little Mermaid. It's a lot of fun and while there're things that we might talk about in terms of, you know, how the sexes are portrayed at this point, you know, looking back in it, it's still a lovely, lovely movie. And 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 that clearly seems to be the turn. And one of the things I think about it is that I don't think Disney thought he was making movies for kids. I think he wanted kids to love his movies, but he wanted everybody to love his movies. And there's a feeling of those movies kind of in the less good era that it was, just as you say, those executives going, okay, let's make the next kid thing. And they didn't have that, what we call now like the four quadrant appeal or whatever. And Little Mermaid definitely does. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It definitely does. And then we move into Beauty and the Beast, which which Walt had wanted to do a Beauty and the Beast Back in the day, they never quite figured how to oh. do it. They, they'd they written a
1: script to do it in the 80s as a non-musical. And then after... Well, right before, I mean, it was literally that non-musical version. So yeah, they Walt could never figure it out, mainly because the Beauty and the Beast story is thin. Yeah. There, there's no second right. act. Basically, the entire second act of the movie is Belle going to dinner with the Beast every night. And, say, and the Beast says, will you marry me? And she says, no. And then she goes home. The beast almost dies. She comes back and says, yeah, I'll marry you. Mm. So trying to flesh that out was something that they just could never crack. Right. And even this uh, live-action script that they wrote, uh, around the same time that Little Mermaid was happening, there that was when it was all going on, yeah. they actually did about 20 minutes, which you can look up on uh, mm. YouTube. They did about 20 minutes of a story reel that they presented to Jeffrey Katzenberg. And they were like, look, let us we know it's rough. Let's show it to him. What's the worst that could happen? It's not like he's going to scrap the whole thing and start over. And he looked at it, and he said – we're gonna scrap this whole thing and start over. <laughs> right. I mean, they just it just didn't it just didn't fly. And Ashman and Mencken had done a great job with Little Mermaid. Ashman was like very excited about this project that he really wanted to do, Aladdin. Aladdin, yeah. And they let they Jeffrey Katzenberg had to convince him to not jump into Aladdin yet and actually focus on Beauty and the Beast and turn it into a musical. And no. he was the one who came in uh with Linda Wolverton, the screenwriter, and basically said, Hey, What about these enchanted objects, which up until this point in the live action script had just been these kind of ethereal things floating around and doing whatever. And he said, well, look, these guys can fill out a second act and be the characters Mm. that we can really relate to in a lot of ways. And they can really we can do a lot of musical numbers with them. And that actually fixed pretty much all the problems that Walt couldn't figure out. It's Mm. such a it's such
0: a basic fix. And it's something I come across with my students all the time, which is they introduce a character. But they don't give that character any character. Yeah. They don't ask questions about who they are and what they want and how they speak and what is their style and what is their, you know, their their humor, their actions, their movements, all those things. Because they go, well, I need a character here to do this thing. And it's like, well, that's why you, the writer, needs the character. You haven't talked about what the character wants or what they need. And when they start to figure that out, then suddenly yeah. the story has movement yeah. and joy and all those things. Can you imagine not having
2: those characters in this film, yeah. I mean, it's just—I don't think—I don't think the film is anywhere near as good without those characters. Yeah. And in fact, I think it's the it, I, when I was watching it at work, uh, one of the women walking by who has shown it to her daughter like a million times saw that I was watching it, and she was like, "Oh my god!" and talked, and she said, "It's the it's the character, it's the side characters, the supporting characters that for her are the joy of the film. That that you know, yeah. Belle and and the Beast are interesting." but Gaston, Lumiere, Cogsworth, you know, all the even the French-made uh, brush, like all they all have incredible life and they all have very distinct characters right off the bat so you can gravitate to them and they carry you through the movie in the times when the Beast is like either angry or trying to figure things out and while Belle is like being dramatic or, or leaving, you know, it's uh, those kinds of things and they flesh wow, you, it out. You really don't like Belle or the Beast very no, much, no, do I'm you? Not, no, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying anything negative about it. I'm just saying this is how it's presented but I think they soften both of them. I think because. like because you knew, without them There's no way Bell comes closer to the Beast And there's no way The Beast comes closer well, to Bell. And I think that's really do, important I think what
1: don't, they do I don't know that I would say Soften them Because well, I think You're about, not saying it I'm saying it. Okay I would disagree with that But that's but fair that's I fair. do think But I do think What is interesting Is that uh, What those characters Do allow you To do with the Beast As a character Is make him uh, A bratty kid Right Yes Because without the adult there To kind of say Hey Yeah Why don't you chill out a little bit, right? He would be just an oppressively evil character. Yes. He, it wouldn't. It wouldn't really work. But having them there to sort of say, "Hey, let's control that temper. Yeah. Hey, let's invite her to dinner. Hey, let's be a good guy." It really brings out this sort of adorable side to mm-hmm. someone who could be just a very overt villain.
0: Right. Yeah. That's that's. I think that's the balance you're walking in this film. Well, let, let's get into it. Okay. So we start with a prologue, yeah. Uh, and the the voice is David Ogden Stiers, yeah, who yeah. we're going to get. Uh, later on, and it sets up a very specific, this is the problem we have to solve in the film. Mm
1: -hmm. Which, by the way, this was actually one of the big fights with uh, the directors, uh, uh, Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, and Howard Ashman, right off the bat, is that Howard Ashman was very... Uh, set on needing wanting to see the beast as a prince before he turned into a beast and the directors couldn't get this idea out of there the way they they called it like eddie munster and lord fauntleroy clothing like they just had this idea of like a little beast boy running around and how it would be cheesy and gross and uh they actually talk about how howard ashman like lost it in a meeting and screamed at them because it was so important to him and he was known for being very opinionated and having a temper Um, and the stained glass window sort of allowed it to work because they didn't you didn't have to see this little boy turn into a beast in his little outfit and run down the hall crying, it was very stylized. Right, yeah. It's an abstract way to get into it. And it brings up mm-hmm. something that I sort
0: of, this is sort of a geeky screenwriting thing, but one of, the, one of the questions that you always ask screenwriters, which I don't always think is appropriate because it's not always the right thing you need to figure out, is who is the story about? Whose movie is this? Yeah. And obviously, this seems like it's Bell's movie. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, you can look at this movie as this is the Beast story. And the fact that we start with him and his essential problem, and that is the problem throughout the movie that we have to solve, in a lot of ways, it's his story. Well,
1: and actually, again, I'll probably talk about Howard Ashman ninety thousand times in this podcast, <laughs> but uh, he brought a lot of that to the movie. I think that he was the one who really focused on the beast. There's actually a beauty, There's a lot of stuff on if you Google Beauty and the Beast right now with the live action one coming out. They actually talk about this a good bit. But you know, he was in the throes of. Uh, having AIDS during this whole process. And he actually hadn't, he didn't tell Alan Menken until the day after they won the Oscar for Little Mermaid. But (sighs) this, uh, this, this movie about this character where yes, traditionally bell is the main character, but this guy who had this curse Mm. that was going to ruin him where everyone had forgotten him. And there was just this slim hope down the line that someone was going to see him for who he really, like all of these things, like, There was a lot of heavy shit that was being laid down on this movie, but it actually did help because you're right. Beauty and the Beast is 100% the Beast's movie. He's the one that changes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we have our prologue, but then we're going
2: to go off and meet Belle. Um, I do want to say one thing about the prologue. What I think the prologue does, which is everything you said, Mike, is absolutely right and correct, but I think it also immediately to your eyes, to your mind, it elevates the movie to something above the genre of just an animated feature, just from the beginning, sure, you're being treated to this incredibly stylized glass that we know as art. Subconsciously, we see, we have learned this or seen this as art, and I think once we start out in that place, already mentally, we're dealing with something a little bigger, a little grander.
1: Mentally, well, and even that opening shot, that multi-plane camera shot that oh, kind of just great. goes through us. Yes. By the way, yeah. great cameo by Bambi's mom. Um, I know. <laughs> Uh but yeah, but then you go in and yeah, you're hundred percent right. It's just it's this beautiful artwork. It yeah. kind of puts you right in that fairy tale mindset. Well, yeah. and
0: and I would say I was thinking about it watching it this time that this is the most classic Disney that we'd seen in a long time. Yeah. yeah. Because we're going back to the storybook and we're going back to the European castle in the forest yeah. kind of which, storybook.
1: Which by the way, only the fifth actual fairy tale storybook Disney movie. Wow. Hmm. Snow White Cinderella, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. Wow. It's very funny when okay. you think about it, because I I think I do the same thing. We talk about the Disney princess. We talk about the Disney fairy right. tale movie. But when you actually look at all the animated feature films, yeah. straight-up princesses, right. this is the fifth one.
0: Yeah. Um, so, speaking of our straight-up princess, we get to meet Belle, and she's going off into the town. And one of the things I, I, I learned this time uh, is that... This is the first one they did where they did a full cast recording the way you would do a Broadway cast recording. Oh, wow. Is recording them all together, all at once. And you could really feel it in this number.
2: Little town, it's a quiet village. Every day, like the one before. Little town, full of little people. Waking up to say. Oh, no! Bonjour. Bonjour.
1: Bonjour. Bonjour. There goes the baker with his tray, like always, the same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning, just the
2: same, since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town. Good morning, Belle. Good morning, Monsieur. Where are you off to? The bookshop. I just finished the most wonderful story about a beanstalk and an ogre. and That's a... nice, Marie. The baguettes,
1: hurry up. Look there, she goes. That girl is strange, no question. Is she kind of strange? Can you tell? Little of any crowd, 'cause
0: her head's upon some cloud. No
1: denying, she's a funny girl, and there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Howard Ashman thought that Disney was going to hate this song. He and Alan really? Menken wrote it. He and Alan Menken wrote it. And he was like, this is not what they want. They they don't want an opening seven-minute song that is a Broadway musical. Uh, like, he was he was convinced they were going to hate it. And Alan Menken was like, no, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. Sent it in. And they were like, yes, 100%. Mm. And it's an amazing song. It You know, it introduces Belle. It introduces the town. It yeah. introduces her sort of issue with right. the town. It introduces Gaston. Yeah. Like, it just yep. does so much. And it's, it's actually in my top five Disney songs of all time. Really? Wow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Oh, it's
0: joyful and fun. Yeah. And and getting to be Gaston, I I won't say he's my favorite Disney villain. He's one of them. But the thing about him is, I've never met an Ursula. I've never met. You know what I mean? I've never maybe kind of a Corella Deville, but not really. Like, but but, or, met but I have met a Gaston. Well, yeah, okay, I
1: know those guys. Andreas Deja, who was the lead animator on Gaston, who's one of the most yeah. well-respected animators in the world. Uh, actually, it's a funny story. It's funny that you should say that. He had a really hard time. He was designing Gaston and he was designing this very buffoonish, cartoony character because, you know, you're like, you've got this larger than a right. guy who's very stuck right. on himself. And Jeffrey Katzenberg kept pushing back and saying, no, 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 this guy's got to be real. This guy's got to be real. And he finally found his inspiration right here at the gyms in sunny Los Angeles <laughs> because so many dudes were looking at themselves in the mirror and preening that he finally said, oh, that's what it is. And that's yeah. what he designed. So yeah. you're 100% right. That's the thing about Gaston, is he's, you we all all know Gaston's yeah. yeah
0: he's not and he's not big evil
2: he's not like he is no he is asshole evil he's yeah. regular evil he's like I want what I want evil and he's a misogynist and he's mm-hmm. like old school stuff which which where the time that it's set is not necessarily out of the realm of possibility to have that mindset, which I think is interesting. Or, or now. today. Or today, today. sure. Yeah. I'm sorry, yes, today as well. Today, I think, though, it's it's rarer and more more frowned upon, whereas back then, or where they said it, it seemed natural. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Things have changed.
2: Yes, it's basically. Because, I mean, those three girls, when they but, sing, those three girls sing, like, why, what's wrong with Belle? Why, I would be all over that guy. Why aren't they with him? Well, why isn't and she again, with him, right? Th- certainly, we see that.
0: We, and those three I, girls I mean, are well, not, not beautiful. What, we could certainly watch lots of asshole
1: guys preening at the gym who get lots of girls. Yeah. <laughs> This is all seems <laughs> all
0: too normal. Yes. Um,
1: another great thing about this sequence in the film, which I love, is that uh, you know color always plays a big part in animated films, yeah. and Belle is the only person in her village that's wearing blue. Oh, uh, nice. Now uh, that it, you say it that, actually
0: uh, really obvious. Not
1: only does it help you track her in those crowd shots yeah. from a technical standpoint, sure. but also it represents that she, does, she is the outlier. She doesn't fit right. in with mm-hmm. the rest of the town.
0: Well, and this is something I was thinking mm-hmm. about that I'm glad you that's brought great. up, is pretty much if you look at all the Disney movies... We're always looking at outsiders. Mm-hmm. that is we yep. ne- we never have someone who feels comfortable in their skin, mm-hmm. and if they are an insider, then we have to do something to make them an outsider that they're going to have the death of a parent or they're going to have big floppy ears that you know that, that allow mm-hmm. them to fly mm-hmm. or they're going to get turned into a llama, or something must happen <laughs> to make you feel a like llama. An, <laughs> is that and, and, and I was thinking about it a lot is that for for a couple of reasons one is I think deep down, all people feel like outsiders, huh and mm. i think that even even the most insider person you might meet inside they feel like an outsider. Right. And there's an instant whether it's Harry Potter or Peter Parker or or whoever it is that sense of feeling not a part of it is something we could all relate to. And i also think that it's the outsiderness for in the case of the beast or in the case of you know the llama um, Emperor's emperor's groove is that being forced to be an outsider is how you get to learn the profound lessons that might be necessary to move forward right you know and so this this idea of outsiderness is so crucial in every disney animated film i can think of you know uh
2: and, and it definitely plays this minute you meet bell mm-hmm. you know this is something that i've always wondered when i watched because i have always felt like an outsider my entire life so when i watch these movies i gravitate naturally to the lead i always wonder what it's like to for the people who, in my mind, are not the outsiders, like the head of the cheerleading squad or the head of the football team or the really cool guy all the time, like I well, like to watch themselves. They just go, man,
0: this Gaston guy seems
2: great. But yeah, well, that's what I wonder <laughs> about. Do they watch these films and go,
1: yeah, what's wrong with that guy? Why won't he just, I mean, what's yeah. wrong, Belle? Why won't you just no. marry his dude? You see, the secret truth of the world is they all feel like outsiders. Right? What just, Every, everybody does. So who are
2: the real villains? <laughs> do we know? Because we do encounter them in real life. We do encounter the people who are the group speak. I mean we're dealing with it oh, kind of in our country now. So it's like we, we, no matter what side of the fence you're on, you think the other side feels like this whole groups keep group speak villain type thing and that's it's it's interesting to me.
0: But it's our outsiderness, I mean, feel outs- yeah. that outsider feeling Also, can make turn you into the villain. Yes, true. You know what I mean? Because then the other, you know, if you take it to a certain place, it's like, they're all the people that are against me. Well, what is it? I
1: mean, what is it that turns Gaston into an ultimate villain? He's told no. Yes. I mean, that's the thing is like, Gaston ultimately.
0: So you're saying Belle should have married
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. no, no. I mean, no, he is. Look, he is a pig at the beginning of the movie. Yes, he is. Quite literally, when he sticks his head out of the mud and they have the pig there. But uh, he is a pig and he is a chauvinist. Absolutely. But what turns him into a villain is he's never been told no. And right. so to your point, if we're going to get into some psychological stuff, he all of a sudden is if if Belle is what he wants, he's now outside. Yes. Yep. Right? And he can't get in. Yes, And then he finds out that it's a giant buffalo that got inside. <laughs> and he's having a real hard time with that. He can't process that.
0: So, uh movie four we go off we meet Dad, who's a crazy inventor. Also, I think an addition in this version of the story didn't exist well, before.
1: as his guest on and yeah. Every, yeah.
0: And that's a lot of Ashman. I think Ashman wanted to push mm. the crazy inventor stuff. And Dad's—he invents a uh, crazy old Maurice wood chopping thing, and now he's going to go off to the Inventors Fair or whatever it (laughs) is—just randomly
2: some fair—and
0: he's (laughs) off on a journey, and he goes into the deep dark woods, and he ends up at this crazy
1: castle, and this is the first time we get introduced to. Uh, this enchanted world. It is, and actually, and I actually, uh, there are two two things. One, uh, you know, Beauty and the Beast was screened and not in its entirety, which never happened at an animate, for an animated oh. film at the New York Film Festival. Mm. And I believe, so, which actually is amazing. If you want a a great sort of visual course on how animated movies are made. They decided to show this at the New York Film Festival, where it was bits were fully animated, a lot of it was just pencil animation, some of it was still storyboarded, and people went crazy. It, it was it was an amazing wow. thing. But I believe in that version, uh, or it's in a special feature that you can find when Maurice gets to the castle and meets the objects in the original story. They take him in. They're so excited that someone is there. And they sing him this amazing song called Be Our Guest. Oh, yeah. And I didn't realize they'd actually animated it. Oh, no. it's Yeah, yeah. you can actually see it. I and knew that uh, it was supposed to go there originally. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it's actually, I'm trying to remember some of the lyrics where they, you know, instead of Madame, it's Monsieur and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, uh, they just realized, smartly, that as great as this number is, watching these objects sing it to Maurice is not nearly as effective as having them get excited Mm. and actually making Belle feel more comfortable in this new castle. Well,
0: and a basic rule of the story is there's a place where the story really starts, and you want to get to that place as quickly as possible. Mm. And the story starts with Belle in the
2: castle. Mm -hmm. And so if you put Be Our Guest, you're just delaying getting there as soon as you can. So Belle lets Maurice go. Belle lets her father her absent minded, kind of crazy father go off by himself in the fair, to the fair. Yes. And then he gets lost in the woods. Yes. Like she probably thought he might. And then he
1: ends up at the castle. You're saying this is Belle's fault. I'm saying Belle is not as attentive as we would like her to be, is what well, I'm saying. There's, I think there if you are compare flaws it. When you look at if you compare it to the beauty from the original fairy tale, she's actually doing pretty well. Yes, right. Beauty fair. from the original fairy tale. <laughs> it's absent. Dad right. goes off, yeah. comes back. Finds this rose in this castle, is told by the beast that you stole my rose, I'm going to kill you or make you live here forever. And basically the dad pimps out the daughter goes home and says so hey you got to go live in this right. castle now <laughs> the so tales really actually worse one then. of the one <laughs> of the things one of the things that they did with the disney version was make bell more active so yeah. bell as a disney princess finds out that her dad has not returned philippe comes running back yeah. no dad and instantly does not go ask for help does not go say to the right. town my dad's gone hops on that horse and says take me to dad i'm going right. to go get him Absolutely. so i think bell i think bell's still doing pretty you know, good I on the disney princess charge she
2: makes up for her mistake that's for sure you're saying she's responsible for taking care of no, dad? No. Uh, yes. Well, I would think so. She's responsible because, like, when they try to make fun of him or do whatever, she lashes out and she gets mad. She tries to defend him and something. Yeah, so defending your dad doesn't doesn't mean that you have to watch him every day. I well, mean, if you have a dad that's absent minded and he gets in the situation, I think we're, so he
1: whatever. does. He does invent a wood chopping machine yeah, back in like. I mean, I mean, mm, I'm, yeah. I mean he's pretty intelligent. <laughs> He blew something up. And I like that this podcast has pulled. just moved to how 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 dumb or not dumb is Maurice? Hey, uh, well, th- let's
2: move past that. Uh, um, I, I like the symbolism of the wolves. Once again, this to me, there's symbolism there in the wolves of his mind, right? This is the beast. This is to what I got this time watching. It. it was the wolves of his mind. Everything because... Everything is so dark from the Enchantress to what she did to him. It has only progressed and gotten worse and worse and stretched out all the way out into his property past the gate. And so this is to me when the wolves come and they're doing what they're doing. It was the first time I'm watching. I'm like, oh, man, these are like the wolves of his mind, man. The they're beast trying mind. to stop. Yeah, the beast trying to stop things from coming to him. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? Because he is so lost in his feeling that no one will ever come. He is like doomed to live this life. He will die soon. The pedal will the petals will fall off he is initially like, right? That's why he reacts the way he reacts when Maurice is in the castle. He doesn't react in a positive way that there's a visitor. He says, you're trespassing, and I'm gonna throw you into the thing. And there's no kind of kindness in him at all. Well, because no, Because he does is, not want but, to cont- connect with anybody. Well, of course, yeah, absolutely. It leads to hurt. And I, that's what I saw this
0: time. I think that's absolutely true. I'm not sure about the, the wolves part, but although that's an interesting interpretation, but the but definitely what the beast is feeling, yeah. that definitely seems true. And this is the thing that I think you brought up earlier, is mm-hmm. they're walking this fine line of, how how far do you push the beast until he is so evil he cannot be redeemed yes and he is right what well, his treatment of maurice at the beginning yeah man we're we're right on that edge mm-hmm. so while while dad is gone gaston has his big plan oh yeah which is he's gonna propose um and it, it's just so horrible to watch this thing <laughs> play out i mean you, you know you know she's going to crush him and rightly yeah. so but but, man, the arrogance and the meanness and the uh, – what a, what a horrible
2: person what, Gaston is. And what's great, what I love about what they do with Gaston is that moment when he walks into the, uh, to the house, with Bell's house. And her reaction was so fantastic. And uh, how many of us have not – I've have not, have known many women who react that way when they're talking about someone who tried to hit on them. And it's great. And when he sits and puts his feet up and there's a hole in his sock. Like the hole in his sock to I me – You know
1: what's so funny it's it's so I important to me. I actually was thinking about the hole in his sock too. Yeah. Like I really think it's a great
2: detail. <laughs> it's a perfect detail because it lets you know that he is not like – he is – there is flaws to this guy even in this moment of arrogance. He has these flaws with this hole in his sock, which I think is brilliant.
1: Yeah, I mean I do think Belle's reaction to this whole thing oh, is great. Yeah. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. just and he's laying out he's laying out a great future for her. Hey, I want you to pop out six babies and uh, <laughs> like you know, make kitchen? me make me my dinner yeah. woman. I mean, you know, she's like it's 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 just terrible and it just leads really well to her, the, to, her repr- to her reprise of yeah. Uh, yeah. you know she wants she wants adventure in the great wide somewhere. Yeah. She wants it more than she can tell. It just it flows really really well. Yeah. I want adventure
0: in the great wide
1: somewhere.
2: I want it more than I can tell. And for once it might be grand to have
0: someone understand. I want so much more than they've got planned. Well, and that's this is the classic, this is what we have in this film of the classic Disney I Want or I Wish song. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, someday my prince will come, you know, I want to be where the people are, like this this very clear establishment of what the character's desires yeah. are. Um, and, and this is something, again, because I think this is such a well-constructed m- screenplay in terms of looking at how movies work, is that understanding the basic objective of your character and having the audience understand that is super, super important. Mm-hmm. And no sooner has she expressed this desire, but then Philippe shows up, And then she's at the castle. She's with dad. And Belle makes, and I think this is an incredibly heroic sacrifice. I will be your prisoner forever. What are you doing here?
2: Who's there? Who are you? The master of this castle.
0: I've come for my father. Please let him out. Can't you see he's sick? And he shouldn't have trespassed here.
1: But he could die. Please, I'll do anything There's
0: nothing you can do He's my prisoner
1: Oh, there must be some way I can Wait Take me instead
0: You You would Take his
2: place?
1: Oh no You don't know what you're doing If I did Would you let him go? Yes
2: and, and this is right after she had just sung how she wants to see the world yeah. and not feel different and embrace and go on an adventure. And now she's willing to throw away her dreams of going on this adventure to be stuck in this castle for the rest of her life. Because her father got into this situation, and she wants to sacrifice herself for the father, which is very, very noble. And it right on like this time, watching it, it's incredible. Right on the heels of her stating, which we would see all the time in a Disney movie, is like, "I want to, you know, go and be something else and be somewhere." And and usually, an adventure comes up and takes them. But this is a different kind of adventure than what she anticipated. And it's that's fascinating how we go into that.
1: And then yeah, with the Beast acting in the sequence. I mean, you have to talk yeah. about Glenn Keen, who was the lead animator on the Beast, uh, who just brings out. A He's one acting. of the great. He's, one, he's yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He is also one of the greats. You know, he's he did Ariel, Aladdin, Tarzan. I mean, he's he's done he's done a ton. And uh, the beast is probably one of my favorites of his. And it really is because just a the design is amazing, but particularly in this scene, you see this transformation from this monster that yeah. threw Maurice into a jail cell the previous time. And and you see the 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 hope and the longing. You see the acting in the eyes. I mean, mm. there's a level of acting going on with the Beast in this movie that's really just kind of fantastic. Well, and you see it here, just even the way he like he's you know he's 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 scratching himself, not quite sure what to do. He's awkward. Right. Like it's just all of it is amazing and actually makes up for this super villainous thing you just saw him do. Because yeah. you're like, oh wait, he's he doesn't really even know. Yeah. And even Robbie Benson's vocal performance, you know, once mm-hmm. uh when when um. I love you know right after right after he takes Maurice away and he comes back in and Lumiere is like you know so since she's gonna be staying with us for a while <laughs> maybe we put her in a room give her a nice and again it's the yeah. it's the objects kind of being like right now you're kind of a villain you threw her in the dungeon yeah. let's do some and you know it's like even just the you wanna you wanna you wanna stay in here forever like what are you <laughs> I mean he's just this gruff kind of
2: yeah
1: he, as much as Gaston is really the monster in this whole thing. It's You know, this guy is a monster, but underneath is just this sort of, I don't know how to talk to women guy. Yeah. Well,
0: and in particular, the moment that I think is so important is you didn't let even let me say goodbye. Yes. And you see this reaction from the Beast, and it's the first time we yeah. see his loneliness and his sorrow and his guilt. And, his humanity. And all that humanity. And yeah. it's so much in, in that mixture of, you know, animation and Robbie Benson's voice. And that's, you know, it's yeah. the only thing where you get multiple artists coming together to create a single performance uh and and the beasts who can be really scary and really powerful and really comedic and really sad and sensitive and vulnerable all within moments of each other it's a it's a great animation performance
1: And, and they do a great job of just playing throughout all of this all the way up uh through the inviting her to dinner scene, which is my favorite. But yes. even as he's walking her to her room, I mean, again, you have the objects there. So you have Lumiere just going, hey, so say something. Yeah. And he's like, I hope you like it here. He's trying to be very nice. And then just, West Wing's forbidden. right? And yeah. it's just this it just back and forth of this like high temper, trying to be nice, high temper. And it's what actually makes him lovable.
2: Yeah, and you have to remember, like, this is a guy who has not had many interactions with women, right? He was turned into this thing, what, 18 years old or however old he was? Oh, he was he Or was 16, like,
1: he was 16, right? He was younger than that. Yeah. That's a little bit of a flaw in the timeline of that movie, but we can talk about yeah. that later.
2: <laughs> so this whole idea is that he hasn't had a lot of experience with women, so, like... this is not had anybody, a lot of experience with humans. With humans, right, as well. And this whole idea of them helping him through this process, you have to remember that he is struggling with it that he's become this beast and had lived this way for so long, so this idea of trying to connect trying to trying to make a connection with someone regardless of whether it's going to be someone who's going to who's going to break the spell. Is still difficult for him, but he's willing to listen. I think that's what—that's the number one thing about the Beast: is that he's willing to listen to Lumiere and Cogsworth and and all them giving him the advice that he needs uh, to to change because he does immediately change. He's easily directable, and that's a good thing. And that's I think that's what makes us gravitate. to not easily to him. not easily directable, but directable. Yes, directable. I suppose. And
1: I, and I think and I think he I think actually it's it's Belle that changes him. I mean, well, sure, they eventually, they, they, yes. they guide him, but it really is you know up until like once once she leaves. That's the turning point for both she and the beast to yes. start changing. But right, but let's let's talk about some other stuff before we get there because there's some right. other good
0: stuff. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I think we can. It's safe to say that being trapped in an enchanted castle as a giant beast with only animated objects, servants to be who mm-hmm. you the, the entities you play against is not a way to learn humility and values and <laughs> compassion it's not really such a good system right um but, but, we, but I, we you know we brought up these these characters we let's let's talk about them yeah. a little so we got Lumiere you already mentioned Cherry Orbach what a great great oh performance amazing yeah and then we have uh uh Cogsworth who is David Ogden Stiers and is like a huge MASH fan mm-hmm. I love, I love yeah. him in this film Winchester right wasn't yeah, he? Winchester, Winchester. Winchester yeah. Nash, yeah uh and finally um uh Mrs. Potts you have Mrs. Potts Angela Lansbury yeah and so so good. Th- th- this is a these are great supporting characters. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and again, um, you know, Ashman wanted to bring in Broadway people to do a lot of these voices as much as possible, and so he was, you know, Angela Lans. I mean, obviously, TV people as well. But, right. But uh, but you know, he really wanted these people that could that could sing and act and do all these things. And yeah, the characters are great, and they they're so specific. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the great things, kind of to your point, Steve, about sometimes supporting characters are like, oh, here's like the funny background characters, but each one of them. And it's so specific and serves a very specific mm-hmm. role in the movie. Yeah. So Gaston is still very upset <laughs> about what happened with his proposal. Before we get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about, because it is my favorite scene in the movie, is I think that the, the interaction between Beast and Belle on either side of the doorway when he invites her to dinner. Oh, such is, a good scene. Mm-hmm. Is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, just from yep. a sheer acting standpoint for the Beast. Because watching him try to control his temper. Yes. As he's being as polite as he can through gritted teeth, mm-hmm. asking her to join him for dinner. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, David Ogden, Steyer's going, say please. Yeah, He's like, please. And she's like, no. And then he just explodes. And that would lead, you know, if she doesn't eat with me, she doesn't eat at all. And it's like, you just let him just completely unleash as a beast. It really is. It's a scene that, again, one of the great things about this movie is he's being the bad guy here. He's saying, you've got to do what I say. If you don't eat dinner with me, you're not eating dinner at all. But it's played so much for comedy that it doesn't bother you. It actually is a really, really hilarious, fun scene.
2: Yeah, you know, when he's pacing in front of the fireplace and they're trying to talk him to calm him down... And then he goes up to the door and has that whole back and forth. You're right. It's he's still a beast. He's still a child in a way, a teenager. So he's gonna have his emotions at times. Going well, and there, to the there's best there's, of them. there's even
0: a great moment where he does this sort of it's not me, it's her gesture, which is which is yes, which I what, yes, I, what, I, what I what I heard right. was right. A, and by the way, Vogel <laughs> did just a beautiful version of it. And what I've heard is that they just took it right out of Jackie Gleason in The Honeymooners. <laughs> it's a it is a full perfect. Jackie yeah. Gleason movement. That's perfect.
1: And so yes, then you know Bell is kind of trapped in the. T- tower kind of saying she's never gonna she's never gonna go for this beast she's never gonna do anything he says and then you go back to the village and you see gaston still just mad mm-hmm. like he just can't he can't get past the fact that someone said no to him and he's just sitting there stewing it in his little uh bar in his pub filled with antlers right
0: well and i i love that i love that lefou 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 lefou, lefou. 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 and the whole town feels yeah. it's our responsibility to cheer this poor guy up
2: he is like he is like in the throes of sad, like almost depression. He's just sitting there and like just totally downtrodden, this incredibly arrogant, believing in himself kind of guy just from one no. Yeah. And you know, and LeFou and all them have to pick him up, even though they probably all have gotten their butts kicked by this guy throughout their entire lives growing up in that town, including LeFou, who's constantly beaten up throughout this whole movie with objects and, uh, and uh, Gaston's hands. You know, and so it's it's interesting that they use the whole town to pick him back up.
1: Well, and when uh, when the storyboard artists got the this song from Ashman and Mencken and they saw all of Ashman's lyrics, they were like the happiest storyboard artists that ever lived because yeah. the lyrics are really really funny. They are, and they're very descriptive of everything that he's yeah, doing. They're... So just the gags that they could do visually mm-hmm. uh, were just amazing. I mean, you know, everything from him juggling the eggs, lifting the girls, like yeah. showing his chest hair, antlers in the decor. I mean, they just they just went to town, and it is it is just such an amazing number. Agreed. For there's no one as
0: and brawny. As
2: you see, I've got biceps to spare. Not a bit of him scraggly or scrawny. That's right. <laughs> and
0: every last inch of me's covered with hair. No one gets like That like In a spitting match, nobody spits like Gaston. I'm
2: especially good at x rating. <laughs>
0: It, it reminds me in a way of, like, Never Got a Friend Like Me, just in the sense of every lyric is giving you a visual cue of yeah. this is what's supposed to be happening yeah. in this moment.
1: Another thing to notice at this point, right before Maurice comes in, is that uh, it's now firmly like winter. Yeah. You know, one of yes. the things that's big about this movie is they use the seasons uh, both sort of to yeah. show the budding romance and what's going on, but also to deal with color. Right. So at oh. the beginning of the movie, when it's autumn... Uh, it's lots of browns, earth tones that helps Belle stand out in her blue, right. but also kind of like shows off the town, shows off sort of this like sort of, you know, earth colored world. And then you get into the winter time now where, you know, you're more in the beast castle. It's very cold. It's very desolate. Yeah. Uh, and then that eventually leads to spring with something there as mm-hmm. the winter starts to melt. Well, and you brought up that now Maurice shows
0: up freaked out and terrified because yeah. his daughter is being captured by a beast. He gets a
2: lot of help. He does, They help him out the door is what they and do. They
1: help him right out the door, yeah. And,
2: and we should take a moment to give LeFou, like, who, I don't know who the the actor is and the voiceover, but, like, he is fantastic. I mean, just just the whole portrayal and the voice that he chooses to use. As a voiceover actor, I'm listening to these things in that part, and those are the moments where you're like, you really marvel at what they're able to create. Because it is a, almost a pig-like voice because he's... Yeah. Small, he's fat, got the right. bulbous nose, and he's like, you know, guys, Gaston. He's got that kind of thing, and you're just like, oh, this is perfect because it ju- ju- juxtaposes and still stands out um, uh, what he's going on with with Gaston's more classical voice. You know, it's a great back and forth. You know, And I, I love that. I just love what LaFue, everything LeFou
1: does, and I just the love these lyrics uh, in yeah. the reprise. You know, LeFou, I'm afraid I've been thinking. A dangerous There's, pastime, I, I, I know. know. I mean, you're know, just like it's—it's it's just so good. It's great, but yeah, and this is where Gaston, you yes. know, starts to become uh, a little bit more villainous yeah. because now it's like, well, how do I manipulate the situation so that I can get Belle to get with me?
0: Yeah. Um, we go back to the castle. We meet uh, our wardrobe, which is uh, Joanne Worley, I think. And now, you know, Belle or the Beast has said Belle can't eat. Not going to get any food, mm-hmm. but. Those servants are really nice
1: people, except Cogsworth, who's really trying to toe the line here. It's true. Cogsworth is really trying hard to keep things. And again, this is great, just character comedy. But he's trying so hard. You know, he's like, "All right, fine, glass of water, crust of bread, that's (laughs) it." And Lumiere's like, "Yeah, what's dinner without a little music?" I mean, it's just like these guys have been waiting to serve somebody for a long time, and they are going to serve like the realness. Yeah, and we get in to be our guest.
2: And now we invite you to relax. Just pull up a chair. As the dining room
0: proudly presents your dinner. Be oh. Guest, be our guest, put our service to the test Tie your napkin round your neck, chérie, and we provide the rest Soup du jour, hot or d'oeuvre, why, we only live to serve Try the grey stuff, it's delicious Don't believe me, ask the dishes They can sing, they can dance After all, miss, this is France And a dinner here is never second best Go on, unfold your men You take a glance and then You'll be our guest We our guest Be our guest It's such a great song And yeah. this is full Hollywood musical number done to the nines yeah. I mean, it's Busby Berkeley it's, and, and what I love, too, is that I love when in Be Our Guest we just leave reality behind
2: Course
0: Course by one Shout like oh. me sing you will you you'll your feet up, but for now let's be our I don't wonder. By the way, we've met our main character, our main servant characters, are humans transformed into, uh, you know, a clock or a yep. teacup or whatever it is. And I really wonder, like, who are all these silver with these forks and knives and spoons? It's a
1: very like it gets a little dicey in there when mm-hmm. you start to work the logic of it because, like, you're like, wait, are all of these plate servants? Right. And if they break, what happens? Like, where is a little and, concerned and about do this? And yeah. they just have
0: to sit in a drawer
1: for years? Well, like, and how years? many kids does Mrs. Potts have? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sleeping and, cups in there. And yeah. why
0: does only one of them speak? Yeah, uh, but Mr. Potts. But yeah. we're going to suspend our disbelief. The sure. number, the
2: number is great. It's really funny. Yes, Jerry Orbach's performance is stellar. Yeah, yeah. These are my top two favorite songs. Be our guest and Gaston's song are my two favorite songs of the movie. They just. Just, just for the showmanship of both of them. And also, once again, the lyrics are so well done for both of these films, uh, visually, as well as like, the rhyming scheme of them works so well. And one of the things, by the way, that comes out that I was just thinking again, there's a lot of screenwriting
0: stuff in this movie that I yeah. think is really important. And one of them is the Cogsworth-Lumiere conflict. Is that yeah. this is so? Is that you always want to have conflict, even with your minor characters. And it makes it so much easier to get all your exposition out because they're arguing about what should, what should we do. And they're constantly explaining to us what the real situation is here. Yeah. And it's a f- so much fun. The chemistry between the two of them is great. And it, it just works really, really well for yeah. the film.
1: And then you get The West Wing. Bell Bell sends them off, tricks them into they think they 're going to show off the library, which mm-hmm. we find which we get to see later, and she sneaks off into the west wing because she 's curious, so we get to you know we get to the west wing. It's you know this first time that she's in the beast's territory. Really, I mean yeah. this is his this and is, clearly his territory. Yeah, and clearly right. this is yeah. his territory. Everything else is kind of the servant's domain. But this is he's thrown his temper tantrums here. He's ripped the painting. She sees the painting. You get that iconic moment where she's kind of looking at the painting. We mm. don't see his face, but she sees this face of someone yeah. that she doesn't know who it is. She's kind of looking at it really confused, and then she. Sees and of course, the we know
2: who it is. We right. know because right. we know we've seen this amazing beginning. prologue because right. we saw the prologue. So I want to ask you guys a question because something occurred to me as I was watching this scene this particular time like because you know i've dated women have been in relationships with women uh, they they want to ask you those questions and discover these things about you know of course bell doesn't know that she's going to be with the beast she has no concept of it at this point because he's terrible to her but what do you guys think she's trying to do here do you think she's trying to figure out like like she wants to know everything about
1: he, like the surroundings or like what do you think is happening here i mean i think that that's i think that is i think she's trying to figure out her surroundings i think that you know she whether or not she I think she's a woman of her word. So she says she's going to stay there forever. I think at this point right. she's thinking she's going to stay there forever. But whether she's planning to stay there forever or she's eventually looking to things with an eye towards how do I get out of here? Yeah. I'm told not to go to the West Wing. That's where the answers are. Yeah. So yeah. I think this is a this is a character who, again, just the same way that she jumped on Philippe and went out to go find dad as right. soon as he was gone. This is another area where Bell is shown to be an active hero who's going to go find the answers for herself
0: yeah I mean if I were you know it's like any you're captured by the mad scientist who says don't open this thing or don't you know
2: I'm going to try to find out what that is yeah. Um, I think I, I was jumping ahead as I was watching because in my mind I know they end up together. So I was thinking, oh, she wants to explore this, this, these hidden secrets of him because you know I think women have this desire to explore the things about the men that they date or the men that they fall in love with because they want to know everything about them, and I think it's a good thing. And I thought Belle was doing that, but I'm jumping ahead mentally. I think, I think in my you mind, are. I, I think you're it, right
1: yeah. in that. I think what's great about this movie is you see at the beginning of the movie that she has no interest in getting to know what's in Gaston, or right. or to be clear, like there's not a lot of there there. He mm-hmm. doesn't like to read. There's clearly nothing in common. Yeah. I think at this point the Beast. Is Is still the captor. Yeah. But we're getting close to the point, and this is a really big turning point, which is so to get to your point, she she is yelled at. The beast sees that rose, he gets super afraid she's gonna do something to break it, and he's screwed. Right. He flips out. Yes, he does. I mean, he's screaming, it's super scary, and she's like, promise or no promise, I'm out. Right. And she runs, and then you have the great attack with the wolves i, I, I got to talk about this uh, fight scene with the wolves yeah, because
0: it's really great. It's genuinely scary. I yeah. think it pushes the level of a child's animated movie in terms of its violence really far. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see him getting cut. You see the blood. And what's interesting is it does this thing that's really hard to do in fight sequences, which it makes the power of the beast really evident mm-hmm. in how powerful a figure this is mm-hmm. and simultaneously makes it Hard for him and makes him vulnerable. So it's it's a battle where he you see how he's awesome mm-hmm. and you also see, oh my God, he's about to lose. He's right on the edge of losing mm-hmm. and he just, just
2: barely survives it. It's a really good fight scene. And once again, I think it's symbolic. It's him fighting the wolves of his mind to go past these impulses of his that have been there for a long time to get to Bell. He does have feelings for her. I think he goes to save her because he's developing a, a f- affection I, for her. I, so, and I think him fighting the wolves of his mind is in that it's symbolic for me. I, 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 I could no, go no, with I think, that. I think the
1: wolf thing. I think the wolf thing is totally valid. Yeah. I think it's fair. I would actually challenge you on the when you get into the the how they fall in love with each other when yeah. they fall in love with each other. I think up until this point the beast still looks at Belle. I don't think he's in love with Belle. I think she thinks she's not in love with Bella. I, I think, think he's attracted. But I don't think... I mean, he's attracted to her, sure. Yeah. She's a very attractive woman. Yeah. Um, for a 2D animated character. If you I, mean, kind of thing. I mean... <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But, but I think that up to this point, she is a solution. That's what I think. She too. is not a... Okay. Because here... And, it, and again, it gets... Because he does... But why oh, would I'm he
0: sacrifice n- himself like this? Because on his 25th birthday, way, which is coming up, the same, so then, you, so then you So re,
2: then you remove the nobility of the act, if you say that. If he's only doing it to, to do the solution, then he's not a noble character. And that's what I think is is not mm. correct. It's a good point. Bell that's is just point. as noble for doing what she did. He is just as noble I think, too.
1: I I don't think. I, let me let me let me let me be clear. Okay. I don't think he goes to save her because she's a solution. Great. But I think everything up to this point. You are going to stay here instead of your dad. Oh right. wait. I'm, unless this was a very progressive film, I'm not going to fall in love with Maurice. Right. So you are the solution. <laughs> it's an entirely um, different beauty. <laughs> <piece. laughs> so, and, so, and the, then, dad. And then everything he does to try and be nice to her, yeah. the fun thing outside the thing, like everything is like, I'm supposed to be nice because I've got to get you to love me, but I don't right. really think you will. I think that he genuinely does go get her mm-hmm. because it is dangerous out there, and he does the same thing. You actually see him, if you really watch the moment, yeah. he screams at her to get out of the West Wing. You Get out. Knock some furniture. Get ah! Right, right. Like Just like a right. kid, he screams. And then before you pull away from him, you see the realization. His eyebrows raise up. Yeah. And he puts his head in his hands. That he's gone he too far. He realizes that he's done it again. Right. So I don't think he's going out to be like, let me go get this key to unlocking right. my humanity. Yeah, you're but right. He does go out to save her because he's like, God, I'm such an asshole. Right. Um, For sure. Right. But he's still not, just to be clear, he's still not in love with her because he barely knows her. I agree. And Bell. Has no feelings for him, but she's like, this guy saved me. I can't let him do this. And here is like this great important moment, yeah. which is, okay, movie's over. Right. She got away. Yeah. Yes. Beast got attacked by wolves. She went home, finds Maurice. Yep. They say, let's get out of this village. Just crazy things here. <laughs> Credits roll. Yes. Like she's free.
2: Right. And she has that moment where she
1: hesitates on the saddle. And she has that great moment yeah. where she's about to get up and you yeah. see that she's good and then she stops and she realizes that this guy just saved my life. Yeah. And even though he's this bad monstrous dude who told me I had to stay into a castle, kidnapped my dad, did all these things, she goes back and yeah. takes him back to the castle and stays. And,
2: and I would argue that's warranted because they have had these interactions in, in, with, with your favorite scene, Mike. He is trying to be nice to her. He's trying to. I don't think and, it's... Yeah. And she sees it like she... She may not register it fully 100%, but she sees that he's trying. And the the dresser, the woman, the dresser, female, she's saying he's not so bad once you get to know him. He's really a nice guy. Like, everybody is working to let Belle know that the Beast is not as bad as she thinks he is. I, and I think that moment is earned with her in the hesitation on the saddle because it's slowly been building through the film, in I, my
1: mind. I I I, I disagree. Okay. I mean, it's totally a fair. It's a yeah. fair – Like I, I can see I can see where you're putting that. Yeah. I, I think that really this is just – Bell's an honorable person. Absolutely. I think, I think that she doesn't, up to this point, given the interactions that mm-hmm. she's had, I don't think when she's on the other side of that door, she's sitting there thinking, I can see he's really trying to be nice. Right. He's still the guy that locked captured me in dead. a tower, captured yes, me dead. Yes, yes. So I don't think that she has any thought process here that's like, I'm going to stop and help him because he's really an all right fella. I think she's like, this guy just risked his life to save me, right. and if I don't do anything he's probably gonna die in the snow right and because bell is just at heart a very good person she right. takes him back and i think what's really important about this is not the idea that bell actually at this point thinks i'm gonna help him because he's a good guy i think she's just doing the right thing right. i think for the beast he would never have expected anybody yes. to do this for him yes. right
0: agree it's another key turning point in the movie yeah and it's another sign of bell's tremendous heroism and bravery mm-hmm. i mean both, Absolutely. both making the sacrifice for dad at the first place and now to turn back at yeah. this moment and go back into this castle. She doesn't know she he,
1: nurses him back to life. Maybe she's back in the tower. The scene where they actually do start to get something, to feel right. something for each other, right. which is the scene where she gives it as good as she gets it and she mm-hmm. yells at him.
2: Yeah, but that yeah. doesn't happen overnight. And that's what I'm trying to say. And that's my point. And we'll let this be because it's just a matter of perspective. My belief is that they have been slowly... Growing an affection for each other. Now, if not, it may not be love or whatever, but there's an affection. She sees that well, he is trying to reach out to her, whether she registers it or not, consciously for all of us to see. It does not mean that it's not necessarily. I think, but there. I think,
1: I think from a like both any, of them. No, no. For, and look, I think, I think movies are subjective. Animated yeah. movies, any movie is subjective. So I think that if that's what you take away from it, it that's is totally valid. Yeah. I think to talk to anybody who is wanting to make these kind of movies, the challenge that I would put down to you is. It's great that you take that away. Right. There is not a sequence in the movie up to this point... That shows either of them doing the thing that you're saying you're taking away from it.
2: Well, you say he's doing the hand in the th- because he thinks he's an asshole. He could also be doing that because he thinks he's like, hurt someone that he's that he has he's starting to develop sure. an affection. No, that's a good it's a good
0: point, and 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 I, yeah. I just totally agree with Michael, particularly in animated films. movie we, fights? Yeah, um, right. the, well, because in animated films everything <laughs> is a choice. Is a slow yes. down. Is a slow down? Yeah, right. Um, in an animated film, everything is a choice in a way that it's not necessarily a choice in a live action film. Is that Every facial expression, every movement, every color has been chosen specifically from scratch, whereas mm-hmm. you might be on a location and that's what the location looks like, and the actor did a thing, and that 's just what they did that time, mm-hmm. and they might do it differently the next time, yeah, whereas that in this film, and you could see every little detail of how their relationship evol- evolves is very very clearly thought out and we're just going into the sequence where we see as you say mm-hmm. the first time they're really starting to interact as humans and what's great about the scene is again beast.
1: because it's very you know animated movies particularly because you're 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 having to like just get everything in there as quickly as you can Mrs. Potts, Cogsworth, Lumiere, they've told him multiple times up to this point, you must control your temper, yes. you must control your temper. And his problem has been, repeatedly, that he hasn't controlled his temper. So now you have this scene where he's cut, she's trying to clean the wound, and of course, like anyone who has a temper, he blows up.
2: That hurts.
1: If you'd hold still, it wouldn't hurt as much. Well, if you hadn't have run away,
0: this wouldn't have happened.
1: If you hadn't frightened me, I wouldn't have run away. Well, you shouldn't have been in the West Wing! Well, you should learn to control your temper. And you have this great moment where the beast opens his mouth to argue, but he's got nothing. Yeah. So you go, and you actually even cut to the objects who sort of back up because like, fuck, here we go again. And (laughs) and then it just, and then the whole scene calms down. But so that is like, Belle has tamed the beast's temper Mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. Because from this point on. He doesn't lose his temper again because he cares about it. That's of what course, I don't know for of, sure. of course like, he does. It's been building, but, but and no. And it, but from this point on, look, the thing, the other thing that this movie does really well yeah. is it shows a passage of time, and I think this is to be fair That's to you. Fair, yeah. but I, but I but I think that so you do. There is clearly something happening because the very next thing that happens after this is something there. Yeah. Which is a lovely song, actually a late replacement to the film. Um, they actually, this is where Human Again had originally right. gone, mm. um, but the problem they were having is that Human Again was this huge song that that showed a long passage of time so that there was time enough for them to fall in love. Problem is, Maurice is running around in the woods this whole time. Oh, yeah. yeah so right. they just couldn't get past the fact that they were showing these seasons going by and they're like, did Maurice live in a tree? Did yeah, he, yeah. like, what was he doing? So they ended up cutting it. They put in something there. And this is where, to your point, we actually see them falling in yeah, love. Yeah, yeah.
2: There's something sweet. And almost kind
1: But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined And now he's dear and so unsure I wonder why I didn't see it there before because this is where it happens and literally says it. In a like, montage. Yeah, in a nice montage, and you get the lovely thing with the he can't eat porridge. Yeah. He can't use the fork. Bell sort of finds the middle ground where they're both going to sip the bowls yeah. together. You have the great scene of them outside Yeah, walking the in the snow. Yeah. Uh, another just, great this snow. is a random little anecdotal thing, but I think it's very funny, is that when Paige O'Hara, who did the voice of Belle, was singing something there, there's that great line, new and a bit alarming, yeah, and she kept singing it, new and a bit alarming. And mm. Howard Ashman, who was, literally could barely speak he was very very sick at this oh, wow. point but he didn't like how she was doing and he's it he's listening on the phone and he's listening on the phone oh. and he says he says just tell her tell her Streisand and so she goes <laughs> new and a bit alarming <laughs> and that's like that's the way it sounds but it's just like as a, as a gay musical theater nerd that makes me laugh so hard but that's exactly how it happened that's great
2: Alarming! Who'd have
1: ever thought that this could be true?
2: That he's no Prince Charming, but there's
1: something in him that I simply didn't see. Um, And yeah, and it's a beautiful part where where you finally get the belt, the Beast saying, "Yeah." I've never felt like this before.
0: Yes. And and I just, because I want to highlight it, is that it's so important to realize that one of the driving creative forces on this movie is literally making it on his deathbed. Yeah. You know, at wow. that point, he's so ill. He's, he's listening in on these recording yeah. sessions. And apparently he was great with performance and great with singers. Yeah. And he continually is fighting for making his movie better at the very, very end yeah. of his life. Yeah. I mean, it's just... You
1: know, that's powerful. And And then, and again, you know, to your point, they do fall in love very fast. It's an animated movie Mm -hmm. of 83 minutes. Of course, But in the time that they allot to this, they show them both coming together, compromising on different things. And then he does a thing. You literally, you know, in contrast to Gaston, who the first thing he says to Belle after the opening number is, how do you read this? There's no pictures. It's not right for a woman to read. Soon she starts getting ideas and thinking. Right. And the Beast gives her... A library that looks just like the Barnes and Noble that the grow. Yes. Right which is yeah, what I think every time I go into the Barnes and Noble yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah and it's like so in the limited space that they have to show how this relationship grows and develops yeah. he gives her the one thing that she loves more than anything else
2: well he listens to her exactly he
1: knows what she needs right yep. whereas Gaston's trying to tell her what she needs I mean technically he listened to Lumiere who heard the book well, thing, well, but true. yes he took some really good <laughs> advice from his very pimp friends so hey, hey, sometimes your friends <laughs> help you out yeah that's I very mean, important you know Cogsworth <laughs> is over here saying and give her some chocolates and some promises you don't intend to keep. Was and Lumiere's so like, look, I know she likes books, brah So I think she. He went with the right servant.
2: That's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> well, it's always a standard thing: flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. I love that. And line. by the way. That's improvised. Is it really? That's an improvised Oh, it's line. such yeah. a great awesome. line, man. That's yeah, one of my favorite yeah. lines from him.
0: Um, yep. I, I think we're moving right into uh, our big dance number. Wow.
2: Well, June.
1: unless you watch the special edition. Right, where you get human oh. again. you actually do get human again. Which I watched. Because they actually, Ugh. again, human again uh, was not in the original movie. Yeah. Did get put in the Broadway musical. Right. Uh, so subsequently in the special edition, they put it in there. So it's a, it's a lovely number. And the mov- the movie works just as well without it. It's a very nice song. But I think that at this point, from a yeah. pacing standpoint, you do see how they're falling in love. Yeah. And... Going and stopping to see how the how Mrs. Potts wants to mm-hmm. be an, a little old biddy again doesn't really get anywhere because you do want to get to because the the movie is
0: what is making the movie drive forward is yeah. Beauty and the Beast yeah. right now that song I just I think I just saw it for the first time watching it yeah. this time yeah. I had never seen it before so for me it was like Ugh, what's this yeah, it's jarring you know, it was jarring and maybe maybe if that hadn't happened I would experience it differently but it's like I'm moving forward really yep. well no, yeah. totally and I get I get. I, I love those characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't need this song. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we move into Beauty and the Beast. Uh,
1: Angela Lansbury s- oh, singing it. So beautiful. So she didn't. She she was not about this song. What? When she originally heard the demo, it sounded a little bit too. Uh, I believe she said rock and rolly. It sounded a little too. So she didn't. She didn't like the song. <laughs> they were gonna have someone else. Well, she else heard Mencken's
0: demo of it. Yeah, she heard oh. Mencken's demo. She didn't hear Ashman's demo
1: of it. She didn't. She didn't. She wasn't feeling it. <laughs> they brought her in. And they said, Angela, listen. Just, will you sing it once for safety, just in case? You're right. She sang it one time. What? That's a one take song in that movie. Wow. One take, Angela. And she is, she is, the way she sings that song, visually to me,
2: it is a person walking the thinnest tightrope possible throughout through the, through like across two buildings like the World Trade Center or the World whatever wow. they the guy like that's what I hear because now I'm picturing gets... Angela Lansbury on a tightrope. Which <laughs> well, is weird. I just mean the vo- the vocal quality of it is delivered so tenderly, so softly that any movement all, left or right, the song falls apart.
1: And I think she does such a great job of just balancing the right. Alan Menken talks a lot about how this was a really hard song. This was the hardest song for them in the movie. Wow. Um, it's such a because beautiful song. it's and and, and p- particularly because nobody calls Bell Beauty. Yeah, her true. name does mean beauty, true. but this whole "Beauty and the Beast" is the name of the movie. Yes, it is not anything that's inherent to like these characters. Like, Look at Bell right. and Bell and, and Prince Adam falling in love. Like right. you know, like they're, they're, it's it's a very weird turn of phrase that they managed to turn into this beautiful ballad. Yeah, uh, that is is one of the one of the great Disney classics. Agreed. Uh, it has been so stuck in my head for the last ten days.
0: Like <laughs> everywhere I go, yeah. I'm hearing. Tale as old as time Tale as old as time True as it can be (laughs) Barely even friends Then somebody bends Unexpectedly
1: Just a little change To say the least, both a little scared, neither one prepared beauty
0: and the beast
1: And as you said this is the you know the, the use of CG in this moment, oh, uh, the this, this CG ballroom yeah. is, you know, Disney, Disney had already done some limited CG in their movies. I believe Oliver and Company had some CG cars in the city. Yeah. Little Mermaid, uh, uh, I think Great Mountain Detective used uh, in the clock tower scene at the end with Radigan. And then Little Mermaid has a scene where Ariel runs down the stairs right. that are all using CG for the first time so that they could actually utilize camera movements, which you can't do in traditional 2D animation right. aside from panning and zooming. Um, but this was where people really were blown away for the first time by something. The way that the camera swoops through the ballroom uh, yeah. and they're dancing. in it. it's its one of the great Disney moments of all time.
0: And, and we already talked about in uh, Wrath of Khan, the very first bit of CG animation, yep. which is Pixar in the Genesis planet. Yep. And now we have Pixar again. And this is at that time before... Um, you know, before Toy Story, mm-hmm. where Pixar is primarily a technology company, mm-hmm. yeah. They're owned still owned by Lucas at this point, I think, um, or maybe they'd just been sold to Steve Jobs. Yeah. And you know, they developed this as uh, what's it called? It's the uh, digital transfer technologies. Okay. This is the second movie that it's used on. This is the second movie where animation stills are transferred digitally, and that was yeah. developed by Pixar. The and,
1: computer animated uh, computer animation program CAPS. CAPS, if that's yeah. what it computer is. Computer animation program yeah, Rescuers, and well, all, in addition to the, to the CG. Uh, I mean, this revolutionized all of animation. Little Mermaid was the last movie for Disney that was hand-painted. Rescuers Down Under was the first movie that utilized Pixar's cap system where they digitally painted everything, which sounds like – I mean, aside from not having an entire department of people literally hand-painting cells, it gave you the opportunity to use every color in the world. So when you look at Ariel, somebody's painting – that flesh color, that red color, any shadow you see, somebody painted it. With Beauty and the Beast, they're allowed, they can actually like the the fact that Mrs. Potts's cheeks have rouge on them that fade. Yeah, that was revolutionary. Right. Thanks mm. to Pixar. And mm-hmm. the
0: way the the way they do camera movements within this scene, I mean, I still remember seeing it in the theater. It is yeah. just gorgeous and complete. You you just go like, oh, we're literally
2: in a different world all of a sudden. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's my, one of my favorite scenes, bar none, of any animated film. Just beautiful. And because we've been building to it from the montage and everything, and the whole entire relationship, there's—it's just—and the colors are so vibrant, so like if you believe in love, those kinds of moments like are really powerful. But only if you believe in love. Well, (laughs) no wonder it didn't seem that (laughs) That powerful powerful to me. You You know what? (laughs) you kiss my ass, I'm just saying. Hey, yes, I love you. they will stop it. It, I'm just saying it's, I, I, lo- I, lo- I love you let's go dance I love you too but I, I this is hey, such a great <laughs> oldest... <laughs> wait who's the beast uh, I like we this. all know Yeah, okay, shut up but I I just love this sequence I love this sequence it is just it just really tr- It once again it's one of these moments in the film that transcends the genre it transcends you almost forget you're watching an animated film yeah. and that's a. that's powerful
0: and what do we do when we have this powerful loving yeah. moment it's time to end it because our yeah. job in making a love story yeah. is not to let them have love and so in the moment where they are closest together yep. she says i want to know what happened to my dad yep. he shows her the magic mirror dad's in trouble and now beast it's time for him to do mm-hmm. to make a huge sacrifice yep and he lets her go
1: well and it's and it is and it mirrors very well to your yep. point it mirrors very well bell as bell as the person who was the captive reached a point where she could escape and chose not to right and beast reaches a point as the captor where She's ready to stay. You're good. Yeah. Like yeah. she's in. Like yeah. you, you're, you've done it, dude. Mm-hmm. And because he actually loves her, he lets her go. Yep. And that is that's just it's great. It's great storytelling. It's amazing. You see the pain. Yeah. Uh, and oh yeah. When he roars, when she leaves. Oh, yeah. Man. That shot where she's rough, she's riding off on Philippe, and he just roars at the sky mm-hmm. in pain and frustration and anger. Again, have to bring it up given where Howard Ashman was in his life and what he was yeah. going through, it kind of even makes yeah. it more poignant when you go watch that.
2: Well, and the, act, the voice acting from Robbie, this time around brought a tear to my eye. Like, Robbie Benson, what he does when he says, when Dumier says, "What? why did you... Because I love her. Like, there was just... Cogsworth, but yes. Oh, Cogsworth. Sorry, Cogsworth. He he says, because I love her. Like, it's just so powerful because you're right. Those are those moments like, yeah, that shows you. Yeah, sometimes you gotta let it go. Sometimes you have to think of more than just your selfish needs in that moment. It's powerful. Well, it's
0: funny. I was thinking as well while watching this that, yes, Disney movies are the movies where dreams do come true. But in the really good ones... (laughs) We're going to go through a lot of pain yep. and sacrifice and struggle to yep. get there. Totally. You know, that, that, yes, the wish will come true, but it's not going to be easy. Yeah. So, Bell runs back to save Dad. Dad's about to be carted off to the insane asylum. Yeah. Once again, Gaston being a villain, setting that whole thing up well, in and the this the where,
1: Yeah, I mean, in the tavern scene, Gaston really, his villainy comes to to bear. Yeah. But, but you see, again, Gaston does a really good job of going from, all right, you're not a villain, but you're a dick. Yeah, yeah. To all right, you're really a dick <laughs> to, ooh, you're a dick and you're kind of nasty and that's really fucked up to this is this is his moment. Yeah. Because this is full on, I'm going to go kill an innocent
2: person. Yes. And I like that they dragged out some villain from a Scooby-Doo movie to play the head of the asylum. Because that yep. to me, took me a little bit out of the movie, that guy, because he's like, There's nothing wrong with you. Here's
1: the thing that throws me me off about this guy when you go watch it, and this is just great sound design, which I believe Beauty and the Beast was actually nominated for an Oscar for sound design. And I think it's because of this moment (laughs) when that guy, when the asylum guy rubs the coin to see if it's legit. It sounds like his fingers are snakeskin. It is the scaly, creepy grossness that every time I watch the movie, I want to go vomit because it's so gross. Go listen to it. It's the worst. Play it on the podcast.
2: Done. It will be in. It's like this. I've got my heart set on marrying Belle, but she needs a little persuasion. I'm listening. Everyone knows her father's a lunatic.
0: So Belle has proven that there is a beast yes. by showing him the mirror, which seems like a poor
2: choice, and proven that she's in love with the beast, uh, visibly to Gaston. It's, it's, it seems it seems that he infers that. Absolutely. Yes, infers that. I'm sorry. He, yeah. Um,
1: it, well, it's a it's a it's one of those great leaps in mm-hmm. uh, in animation. Is like you're you're at the end of the movie, and so you just have the character say the thing. That he didn't quite get, but the but the audience knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bell goes, he, you know, my dad's not crazy. Look, yes, he's really kind and gentle. Yeah. And Gaston goes, you have feelings for this monster? Like, well, you could have said that about a dog too, right? But like, you, you, we we the audience knows that Bell. We but, we know yeah. that Bell is in love at this yeah. point. So Gaston's saying it, we're like, okay, we got it. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Then you get to the mob song, which is oh. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Through the woods, through the darkness and the shadows It's a nightmare,
0: but it's one exciting ride (laughs) Say a prayer, then we're there At the drawbridge of a castle And there's something truly terrible inside It's a beast, he's got bangs, razor-sharp ones Massive paws, killer claws for the feet Hear him roar, see him foam But we're not coming home Till he's dead Good and dead Kill the beast No, I won't let you do this You're not with us, you're against us Bring the old man Get your hand drop me We can't have them running off to warn the creature Let us out We'll rid the village of this beast Who's with me? And this song, which is you know, Gaston using
1: fear and terror to get the rabble together. Well, and I said this recently to somebody, and it's really funny because I watched this movie as a kid. And I was like, the one thing that always bugged me is these these villagers at the beginning, maybe they didn't get Belle, but they weren't necessarily evil. Right. And then at the end of the movie, they turned so quickly to yeah. doing such horrible things. And I was like, as a, as, a, as a naive child, I was like, that seems unrealistic. Now as an adult living in the world that we live in, I go, oh, <laughs> nope. That's legit. (laughs) Well, and the way they were
0: fawning over Gaston in the Gaston song. Yeah. Like, it's like, Oh, he, he wanted to force marriage on someone and now he's bummed and the town rallies around Mm -hmm. him, you know?
1: And again, I mean, like it's, it it, it, Howard Ashman just nailing it with these lyrics that really lay out how a mob happens. Yeah. We don't like what we don't understand it. And it scares us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. As long as there's a leader that we uh, revere or trust to rile us up and instill that fear that was not there before, uh, then we'll go with him, and that's what happens here in this moment. It's almost prescient what he what this film does in this moment because you see it now in our society. You just need that one person to make everybody afraid, and they do these inc- these I mean, terrible things. If Gaston things.
1: had Twitter, if Gaston had oh, Twitter, on Twitter. Well,
2: and, and this, this is really <laughs> unsuccessful, sad, sad. sad and bell not as popular over what, what do you call it? uh uh overrate
1: overrated, overrated bell overrated, overrated beauty. bell overrated bell reading too many books too likes many books. the
2: beast sad sad
0: <laughs> just to take it back to 91 yeah sure i mean it, it you know it's telling this is written by a guy dying of aids yeah you know and this and and we have to remember that in the late 80s and early 90s
1: it was not like it is today. It was yeah. not like
0: it is today. Yeah, you know, and the idea of that these that someone dying of AIDS must be evil is being punished for what you know. Oh yeah,
2: interesting. I mean, it's it's
1: no, it's all there. I mean, oh, it's wow. it's 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 not even subtext when you really wow. know what's going on. It's it it makes the beast story so much more touching, which was already wow. touching because Disney did such an amazing job, and it yeah. really does add this extra layer. Um, and yeah, and then you also get, at this moment, it's its one of those great songs that does a good job of just moving the entire story forward. So yep. you have a lot of things happening during this song. You have the villagers marching on the Beast's castle. You've got Belle uh, with the assistance of Chip, who stowed away. Yes. And Maurice and his uh, weird wood chopping invention <laughs> escaping so that they can get back. Probably not
0: my favorite part of the movie. That's where I kind of go, really? Chip's there in the wood? Cho-? Okay, it's just fine. It's Listen. fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, oddly enough, Chip uh, had a very small role originally in the movie. The cute character was supposed to be a music box, but the animators and the directors liked the voice voice acting of the kid who did Chip so much that music box got the axe and Chip got a much elevated role. Wow! Um, But yeah, so you have uh, all that happening and then you have the objects realizing that the castle is under attack. Mm -hmm. And this leads to just, as someone who's grown up loving animation, I love when a bunch of animals, objects and or other things have a giant funny attack sequence. Yes. The little mermaid did it well when all of the sea creatures and birds come to stop Vanessa's wedding, yeah. but then they doubled down in Beauty and the Beast with just the amazing battle between the enchanted it's objects really and the funny. villagers. Yeah. It's really funny.
2: It's great. And Cogsworth shines. Cogsworth shines in this whole sequence as this like leader of them trying to get him going and everything oh, like Cogsworth that. Oh, Cogsworth so is fantastic. Little
1: hat. His, little hat, his little Napoleon his hat is Sliding down the
0: banister with yes. the sign of a sound of dive bomber as he comes down. <laughs> yeah, he,
1: does, he does great. And uh, I love the oven. Yes, the oven sure. in the in the kitchen is great, yeah. and then uh, the wardrobe basically killing a man. Uh, yeah, I mean that, that man doesn't survive that. <laughs> Nobody survives that. So we have a really funny fight scene. Yeah, which, then- which by the way, I just want to say, I mean, this is actually a key thing that you deal with when you're making an animated feature. Which, to your point. This is what Pixar does great. It's what the best Disney films are. They're not made for kids. Right. But they are made with the knowledge that kids are coming. Right. And one of the really interesting things that that animated movies are really able to do is to turn on a dime like that. Yeah. yeah. That, that you're, you're in the mob song. You're in we're coming to kill the beast. And because that might be getting a little intense and you know you're about to have this super intense moment for your finale... You put this scene here, and you make it as fun as possible mm-hmm. so that you know it, it, it balances it out for your younger
0: audience. Yep. Right. We're going to have getting poked in the butt, and yep. we're going to have uh, someone who, who ends up in women's clothing, and we're going to have all the silly stuff, mm-hmm. and then we're going to jump right back into a really heavy, violent scene yep. with uh, Gaston stalking and shooting yeah. the Beast.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Well, And they do such a great job here in that uh, the Beast has literally given up. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, when Gaston shows up... He doesn't care. Nope. He gets shot Shot with an arrow? Yep, shot an with arrow. an arrow, doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He's done. Yep. He's given up. He's accepted his fate. He's going to let himself go. And then he sees Belle. Yep. Yeah. And everything changes. The yeah.
0: transformation with him is just tremendous. Yes. And it's great, too, because you see on just have this, oh, shit. Yeah. What have I gotten myself into here? Right. Yeah. Because the Beast is scary. Yeah.
1: And, again, taking this whole kind of uh, through line of his temper... He goes to town on Gaston. Oh, yeah. And he's got him hanging him over the thing, and you can see that the beast is mad. Yeah. And Gaston just wimps out. I mean, just pusses out completely. He's just like, let me go. Ah, I'm sorry. Ah, ah." I'll do anything. And you do this great. Again, it's the great acting and animation, and Glenn Keane just killing it, is the beast's eyebrows. I think one raises first, and then the other one. And you go from like intense anger to realization that this is not who I am. Yep. And this is not who I want to be. And so this guy who literally could not control his temper at the beginning of the movie throws Gaston down and just tells him to get out. Just I'm done with you. You're not important. Yeah, It's funny. I, I was thinking about it watching it this time that, you know, if the
0: beast knew anything about Gaston, he might make a different choice. Sure. Because for Gaston sure. is not treated Bell well.
2: Yeah, it's probably best that he does. Um, right. but,
0: but for the movie, for our story, yeah. it yeah. is right that he makes the choice not to kill. Yep. Bell shows up. They
1: have their reunion. We and think then, everything's going to be okay. Gaston just, boom, yes, with that, the knife. With the knife. In the back. And it's really funny. I will say that one thing that always bugged me as a kid, and this I, this, has, I, this gets in my weird bloodlust issues, mm-hmm. is yeah. I always Hold wanted... Wait, you wanted, have bloodlust Clearly, issues? I do, because I always... It's great that Gaston dies. Like, I'm glad he dies. I'm glad he falls into the pit at the bottom. But it's like I almost wanted it to be like... No, knock him off, man! Like no. he just kind of falls. There's no nobility if he, he's not noble. If he you makes know what it you not. wanted, no, I agree. I'll oh, tell you okay. what you wanted. What did I want?
0: You wanted an Al <laughs> at the end of Die
1: Hard moment, and Bell killed him. I mean, yeah. Wow. Who doesn't want that? No. That's
2: what... Once again, you ruin the nobility of the characters. If you... No, no, you are right. John is no. John is right. John is you, right.
1: If you actively kill Gaston, you ruin the nobility. Of Disney, the Disney Disney does an amazing job. Yes. of yeah. of having your heroes. <laughs> Kill but not kill the right, villains. Exactly. Like you didn't do it, so you're good, but, they're but also they're dead. dead. It, yeah. well, and Gaston dies from his own hubris.
2: His desire to kill the beast in order to have Belle is the reason why he falls the way he yes. falls. Because he is in a precarious position... In the stabbing. Well, and, again, of the beast. and so
1: yeah, ultimately it is Gaston's yeah. fault. beast lets him go. Yes. He could have left, he could have yes. could have taken his dignity, he could have walked out. The beast lets him go. Bell doesn't care about him. And right. yes, it is his own hubris that does kill him. Yeah. So it it is it is the proper way to do it, <laughs> even if as a kid I wanted the beast to just knock him off the roof. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fair. And now the beast dies. Yeah. This everything about this. Yeah. Alan can score to the transformation sequence, the effects, the animation on the Beast, the animation on Belle saying I love you, every single thing about this is a 1,000% perfect. Yes, Yeah, I agree.
2: It is so moving. Yeah. Yeah, it really gets you. Yep. And the visual is moving as well, this large animal just lying there and her head on his chest. Like, there's a visual to that that's really powerful and moving.
1: Yes, definitely. And I think also, you know, in this age of computer animation, in yep. this age where we do everything digitally, that transformation is hand drawn. Yeah. yeah, like the claw to the hand, the 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 animal kind of hoof, whatever. So yeah. you know, to paw to the foot, and then the transformation of the beast into Prince Adam. Yeah,
0: well, it, and even the drapery of the fabric yeah. is so, and it's so Renaissance. I don't know if it's Michelangelo they're referencing, but it's so mm-hmm. clearly Glenn King's looking at classic Renaissance paintings, and the lighting is just so gorgeous in yeah. that moment of the transformation.
1: And then we see Prince Adam.
0: Yes, yes, we do.
1: For the first time, which uh, is a, he's a very divisive prince as far as people who are into that type of thing. Some oh, people really? think he's very hot. Some people think that he's not as handsome as he was when he was the Beast. What? That's how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think he's great. I think he's a hottie. I like what? the hair. People, uh, this is an
2: argument people have.
1: Well, it was interesting. So I listened to the commentary track
0: and the directors were also saying, you know what? We're not big fans of him either. Like they were kind of like not love. And what I get though, <laughs> what? here's what, here's the thing is the Beast is so awesome. And he's such yeah. an amazing visual character yeah. that you go like, oh, now I'm left with this guy.
2: You don't get a lot with Prince. You don't get a lot of time with Prince Adam. You, so get, you, Prince you can't Adam. judge Prince Adam.
1: I'm not judging. I'm, I'm not judging, not judging the him. person. I just, I, I, just I also love think, think, looking at the piece. And, and, and this is where this is where you do get the fact that Belle did not know that the painting she saw was him. As she right. looked at the eyes, yeah, and then says, "It is you." Yes. So this is where she does realize that, oh, you are the guy in the painting that right, I saw. Right. Uh, and actually, Glenn Keane, the animator, also kind of wished he had stayed a beast oh, yeah. and uh, had Paige o'hara record a line that was right around here or in the end where it's like do you think you could grow a beard oh really uh, uh which they didn't put in unfortunately but it's a very funny line kind of like showing that bell like oh, bell, bell, that. bell liked bell liked him bell liked her big hairy fella <laughs> um but yeah and so then you get the other objects you get to see lumiere and cogsworth mrs potts and chip all yeah. in their human forms for the first time and uh, and you and then it's just like it's full bore into the finale where you get the whole final dance sequence, which is reused animation from Sleeping Beauty. Oh wow, that's um, hilarious. Which is because it hey, don't broke don't 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 fix it if it ain't broke. <laughs>
2: yeah right. Do you think do you think uh,
0: Maurice ends up with Mrs. Potts? There's I I do I do right. There's such a little moment
2: yeah, and it's very small yeah. and they don't make a lot of it. But yeah. yes, I agree. I, I don't mean, think I don't think the back and forth between Cogsworth and Lumiere is necessary. I understand why they did it in humans. But I don't think it's necessary. You gotta you gotta give them a moment. I you know, guess like, so. Yeah, I mean, where keep... they fight. I mean, I, the moment where they come back together and they're friends with each other, end it there. The extra fighting stuff. I was well, like, eh, mm,
1: that's I like I like it just because we've seen their conflict throughout the movie. Yeah. So it's like I love I love that they have this like joyous moment. I mean, if I had a really close friend who I had known for years and years and years yeah. and gone to college with, that and you bickered with, occasionally. bickered with occasionally. Yes. like you know, it's like oh, we're so happy that we're human again, yeah. and then we would go right back to bickering. I don't know. Not that... naming, not naming any specific names. I don't know
2: who would do that with you. That seems, I don't know. That seems incorrect. So Schmoes knows. <laughs> Shut
0: up. So the yes. response, the response to the movie is huge, and it's not only uh, just a huge audience response and yeah. a huge box office response, but it gets a tremendous critical response, unlike any animated film in history. Yeah, and it's actually the first animated film to be nominated for Best
1: Picture. Right. I mean, yeah, you can actually look at the fact that there is an animated film category in the Oscars now and track that right back to Beauty and the Beast. Like they kind of reach a point where they're like, Man, we really gotta we gotta do something because these movies are getting better and better and better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, And 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 deservedly so. Um, and the question I wanted to ask you is, is how do you think Beauty and the Beast changes things? Because I think this is like a seminal moment in animation.
1: It, I think, I mean, look, I think when you get into the way uh, female characters are treated in movies, Beauty and the Beast was per, for sure a turning point. Mm. I love Little Mermaid and I love Ariel, but we all can agree with the fact that, you know, Ariel's driving feature is I fell in love with this dude that I barely know and I'm going to give up my entire life to go be with him. Yeah. Right. Uh, and for Belle, they, they went out of their way to do the opposite mm. you know they, they really went out of their way to go to show the female character but i mean look across the board you look at this this was as i was saying and you were saying uh ca- pixar's caps technology this is one of the big big movies right. that really really featured it because not so many people saw rescuers down under mm. uh the this solidified the idea of the disney musical um right. because you know disney had not we all associate that as just it's almost a given that these princess movies are going to be these epic musicals. But until Ashman and Mencken came along with Little Mermaid, that hadn't happened for a really long time. Well, and this is at a moment
0: where the the movie musical has ceased to exist. I mean, the movie, yeah. movie musical from the 30s, the beginning of Sound Pictures, until the late 60s was just every year there's going to be a whole bunch of musicals. Yep. And then and in the 60s, mid-60s, there are these huge, we have West Side Story, we have Sound of Music, we have My Fair Lady, huge, huge, successful musicals. And then in the late 60s, with things like Dr. Doolittle and Thoroughly modern, modern, they're all bombs. Yeah. you know, and, and so Hollywood goes, we don't really make musicals anymore. And there are a few musicals over the next 15 years, but very few. Yep. And, and Disney animated movies is where the movie musical revives. You know, like suddenly these are where we get to go see musicals. Yep. They don't exist anywhere else, you know, with, with a couple of very small exceptions. That's yep. a huge difference.
1: And I think this doesn't actually answer your question, but I think another thing that uh, always really strikes me of Beauty and the Beast is that when Disney tells a story, it becomes the definitive version. Yep. Totally I think what true. I what I find so interesting, particularly with the live action movie about to come out, uh, you know, what, what do we say? Twenty five years later? What is it? Twenty twenty six, twenty six years later. Mm-hmm. The next however many generations of kids are never going to know a Beauty and the Beast story that doesn't have Gaston, Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Right. Potts. That mm-hmm. you know this is sort of the legacy of Disney, and ultimately in this case, the legacy of Howard Ashman and Alan Menken is that this has become the version of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, there is no other version in kids' minds, and I think that's so amazing, just from like a storytelling standpoint. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So, John, what are yes. your
2: final thoughts on Beauty and the Beast? I think this is, was great to revisit again. As a guy who's not necessarily running to go see animated films all the time, uh, because you're my friend, I go to see these films with you and, and whatever, Michael. But like, oh, okay, interesting. This, no, I'm remember Beauty that next and the Beast time. is not one that I've run to go and see. Neither is Little Mermaid. I don't run to go see. But Aladdin, I will watch on a 24-hour loop. There are certain ones that appeal to me. Beauty and the Beast didn't always appeal to me. Little Mermaid doesn't at all, other than the songs. But like, there's something about this that is a a film that is beyond animation and to me that's where i can appreciate the movie on so many levels because of the writing the acting the animation work the pacing of the story the actual story like you said fleshing out the original story here giving giving the characters all of that there's so much vibrant life in this movie not just in the colors but everything that's going on for the hour and a half that you're watching it it's so fun to go on this journey and you are you are taxed emotionally and more so than you would be in more in in other animated films and it's done and it's earned. It's earned throughout the entire movie and I think that's what's, that is always a lasting legacy for me of any film. Can you keep, go back and rewatch it and revisit those emotions that you had the first time you watched it and with Beauty and the Beast, I did again as I only watched it two days ago again and the motions are still very powerful within me because there's something about the beast that as a man myself personally who has dealt with my anger issues growing up through, uh, through uh, uh, my teen years and my 20s and at times in my 30s there's something about the beast that I understand and gravitate and know. My heart is good but there are times where the feelings to, the, the, the anger to protect my feelings to protect being hurt again overpowers that and those moments are still relatable and connectable for me
1: and so that makes the whole film
2: Itself very powerful for me every time I watch it. Yeah.
1: What about you? Um, I mean, for me, this is like a storytelling benchmark. It's an animation benchmark. As someone who works in animation, who uh, loves working in animation, who wants to be doing stories like this, this is one of those stories that is like this is what I strive to do. I think, as John said, it's 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 kind of rocking on almost every level. Uh, and again, I think that you know there there are certain people in life that I hold up in a level of reverence. Walt Disney is one of them. Mm. Um for everything he did for animation and everything he's done. Um and Howard Ashman is another one. Just the more mm-hmm. the more that I as right. I was growing up the more that I learned about how much Howard Ashman brought to these things mm-hmm. and what Howard Ashman did uh in addition to just writing amazing lyrics and putting together the songs but yeah. really crafting these stories and putting himself into them. I think that he did it with Little Mermaid, he did it with Aladdin, but Beauty and the Beast is where it shines brightest to me.
0: I I agree with all of that. And it's funny, in watching this, first of all, the thing I responded to was that in terms of story structure this is really really tight mm-hmm. and so just as a thing to study for screenwriters how you put the characters together and advance them what steps are happening at each moment what is required to move the story forward it's really good mm-hmm. um but what was more interesting to me was thinking about that this is not a it's a weird kind of two-hander because it's it's bell's story and it's the beast story and you have in bell's story a character who f- is really fully formed from the beginning yeah she doesn't have to grow or change she's Heroic and independent and intelligent, and all of that is within her from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have this character who has to go through tremendous changes in order to become who he has to become mm-hmm. and deal with, as you said, deal with anger and pain and loneliness and overcome all of that to find love. And I can't think of a lot of movies that are structured that way. Um, and it was really moving to me. And then, particularly listening to you, Mike, talk about Howard Ashman, it just reinforced more and more how you, a great artist can transform pain into something beautiful. Like you don't think of this as a maudlin or painful or heavy movie, Mm -hmm. but all of that life stuff that he's going through comes out in the movie sometimes in just great joy and, and, and great beauty. And it, and it's, it was really, really fun revisiting it again.
1: One thing, I, one, th- one more thing I'll say, because I saw this somewhere. It's a really beautiful piece of art that I saw. I can't, I can't remember where, but it really made me think. Because, you know, obviously we all know the lesson of Beauty and the Beast is that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. And to all of us, that means that Belle sees the prince within uh, where nobody else does. Yep. But an interesting thing when you think about certain lines in the movie, you know, Belle, when she goes to see her father, says, do you think I'm odd? because she knows that yes. everyone thinks she's odd and even though Gaston is telling her that he wants to marry her her feeling is that Gaston doesn't really see her. Yeah. And so as much as as much as Belle does go through this movie and sees the beast, sees the prince within the beast. Yeah. I think there's also something really beautiful about the way that nobody really sees Belle for mm. who she is fully. Yes. Until she gets to this castle and meets the beast mm-hmm. as well that that he kind of sees The true beauty in her, not just the beauty on the outside, just as she sees the true beauty in him. So I think that's kind of a cool thing to think about. And there was some image that I saw that was kind of her looking in a mirror at herself in her dress or something that made me think of that. Yeah, Interesting. So that's
0: what we think about Beauty and the Beast. Of course, we'd love to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page. That's at the cinephile, C i n e dash f-i-l-e-s but if you want to subscribe to us on Stitcher no dash just two words of course we always want you to come review us on iTunes it helps us a lot it helps to get the show out the show has had a we've really found a lot of new listeners lately and it just means a lot so keep those reviews coming they they really really help we we also you can go to YouTube and subscribe to us on YouTube Mm -hmm. just search for the cinephiles and maybe right now because we're just starting off search for the cinephiles and Morris because I want (laughs) you to look for me yes mostly because John Roka has like a million things on YouTube and I really don't. So it's easier to find if you search for me. Sure. Um, and just so, so know, just so you know. so popular. Just so you know, we're about to launch a Patreon campaign. We are. And that will be your opportunity to help us support the show. It's not happened yet. But it's coming very soon, so we'll give you details on that when we have it. Yep. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at sr morris. John, where can they reach you?
2: You guys can always uh, reach me at the Roca says, Rocha says r o c h a on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, like, I want to echo what Steve said. Thanks for everybody who's come on board. Thanks everybody for tweeting at us when you're coming on board and 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 passing it around and telling people about our show. We've really increased listenership, and it means a lot to both of us. And it keeps us going to do this because we we really enjoy doing it for you all. Uh, And Mike, if someone wants to reach you, how would they do that?
1: Uh, You can reach me at MKToon, M-K-T-O-O-N, at Twitter or on Instagram. And uh, hey, say hey. Let's talk about some cartoons. Let's do it. (laughs) There you go. Well, we had a great
0: time talking about cartoons with you on The Cinephiles. Yeah. We'll definitely have you back. Thanks, Mike.
1: Thank you. We've
0: done a comic book movie, a science fiction action movie, and an animated movie. What's I wonder what our next genre is be. I mean,
1: listen, if you just want to like stick me in the animation category moving forward, I'm more than okay with that because I could really talk about that all day. <laughs> I feel uh, like a musical might be next. Or oh. Soap Dish.
2: Or Soap Dish! Soap Dish. That might be a guilty pleasure all right, when we you, do. You, <laughs> you, you, <laughs>
0: you heard it here first. All right, that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles.